guys. I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value this show as a free educational resource and you'd like to show your support, you can do so via Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding service that allows independent creators to get their work out into the world. If you donate as little as $1 a month, just $1 a month, you'll gain access to members-only episodes. 10 bucks a month gets you a Words for Granted mug, and 15 bucks a month gives you creative control over the theme of an entire miniseries. But prizes aside, you get to walk away with the satisfaction of knowing that you're directly helping to sustain the output of this completely independent show. Every little bit adds up, so if you're so inclined, go to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted to find out more. Or you can link to there from my website, wordsforgranted.com. Thanks to Scott and Pedro for their recent contributions. Before we begin, on behalf of the Blank for Non-Blank Network, I'd like to tell you about Seth Wilson's podcast, Let's Talk Talk. Let's Talk Talk is a discussion-based pop linguistics podcast that brings a wide range of technical and non-technical language-based topics to mainstream audiences in an easy-to-consume way. I just listened to the episode on the topic of cross-examination, and I really loved it. I think you will, too. Okay, on to today's show. If you haven't listened to the Days of the Week episode, you might want to go back and listen to that before diving into this one. The overview episode provides some historical context for the development of the Julian calendar, which is the calendar that influenced the names of the Days of the Week in English. If, for some reason, you're determined not to listen to that episode, then fine, The most important thing for you to know is that the English names for the days of the week are etymologically derived from loan translations of the Latin names for the days of the week. That's the bare minimum that you need to know to get started, so let's pick up this series with Wednesday. Unsurprisingly, our story begins with Latin. In Latin, Wednesday was known as Dies Mercuri, literally the day of Mercury. Mercury, or Mercurius, was the Roman god of finance, commerce, communications, travel, poetry, tricks, gambling, and thievery. He was also a messenger between the gods and humanity and served as a guide to the dead. He was believed to be the son of Jupiter, who was the chief patriarchal deity in the Roman pantheon. In most classical depictions of Mercury, he carries a serpent-entwined staff called the caduceus, a symbol of negotiation and commerce. The name Mercury derives from the Latin word merx, which meant merchandise or commodity. As I've already stated, Mercury was the god of finance and commerce, so the etymological connection here speaks for itself. As it turns out, Merchandise derives from this same Latin root too, and so does the word market. A market, of course, is a place where you can buy merchandise. These English words are also cognate with most Romance language words for Wednesday, such as the Italian mercoledì, the French mercredi, and the Spanish miércoles, 
All of these words are the direct etymological descendants of the Latin dies mercuri. If you're curious like me, you might be wondering, where does the metal mercury get its name from? Certainly the 80th element on the periodic table has nothing to do with markets and merchandise, right? Well, it doesn't. But it is named after the Roman god, and therefore it too is etymologically related to merchandise, market, and most Romance language words for Wednesday. Recall that Mercury was not only the god of commerce and finance, but also a messenger between the gods and humanity. This gave Mercury a reputation for quick-footedness and mobility, which relates to the metal because Mercury is a fast-moving liquid. But I digress. Let's get back on track with the days of the week. When Germanic peoples adapted the Julian calendar, the Roman god Mercury was identified with the common Germanic god Wodanaz, and Dies Mercuri was translated into Germanic as Dagas Wodanaz, meaning the day of Wodanaz. The name Wodanaz passed into Old English as Woden, thus producing the word Wodnesdag. Woden isn't exactly a household name in the modern English-speaking world, but you may have heard of Odin, his equivalent in Norse mythology. The names Woden and Odin both ultimately derive from this older Proto-Germanic theonym, Wodanaz. Theonym, by the way, is just a scholarly way of referring to the name of a god. I'd like to note in passing that Odin, the Norse name for this god, does not derive directly from Wodanaz, but rather from Wodinaz, a variant pronunciation of this theonym. This may seem like a very minor detail, but the subtle difference between Wodanaz and Wodinaz will have a significant and very confusing impact on our story later on. So you can keep that in the back of your mind for now. Since Woden is the name attested for this deity in Old English, and this podcast is about English etymology, to make things easy, I'm going to generally refer to this god as Woden unless I'm specifically talking about one of the variations of his name. Woden was an important deity among the Germanic people. He was a god of healing, death, royalty, knowledge, battle, sorcery, poetry, war, frenzy, and the runic alphabet. The name Woden is drawn from the war and frenzy aspects of his personality. It etymologically derives from Wodas, another Proto-Germanic word meaning rage or manic inspiration. Traditional depictions of Woden portray him as a one-eyed, bearded old man carrying a staff. He is often wearing a long robe and a pointed hat. Now, you may be asking yourself, how come the deific attributes of Woden don't perfectly align with the deific attributes of Mercury, since Woden and Mercury are supposed to be Germanic and Roman equivalents of the same god? It's a fair question, and the answer is not so straightforward. First of all, when we're told by traditional historical writings that Woden is the Germanic equivalent of the Roman god Mercury, 
This doesn't mean that Woden is just some carbon copy of Mercury with a different name. Rome and Germania, that is, the land outside the borders of the Roman Empire occupied by Germanic peoples, had completely different cultures, both of which had long histories of their own religious traditions. There's absolutely no reason to expect a perfect one-to-one correspondence between not only Woden and Mercury, but between any two Germanic and Roman gods. In fact, I would say that Woden isn't the Germanic equivalent of Mercury, but it is a well-known connection that has passed down through the ages, so we're kind of stuck with this idea of Woden equals Mercury, even if it's not totally accurate. The next question we might have on our minds is, who made this connection in the first place? The answer is the Romans, particularly a Roman historian named Tacitus. In his famous work Germania, Tacitus writes, Among the Germanic gods, Mercury is the one that they principally worship. End quote. If you were reading Tacitus without any context, you might be tempted to believe him at face value, but in reality, what we have here is an assessment of a foreign religion through a blatantly Roman lens. The Germanic tribes themselves didn't think of Woden as Mercury. They thought of Woden as Woden. So, why exactly did Tacitus make this connection between Mercury and Woden? Well, it's not totally clear. The biggest discrepancy that I find between these two gods is that, at the time Tacitus was writing, Woden was the chief deity of the entire Germanic pantheon, more akin to a Jupiter or a Zeus figure. Mercury was no doubt an important god to the Romans, but he by no means occupied the role of head honcho. Do you think that Tacitus made this connection between Woden and Mercury because... Both gods were believed to carry around staffs? (laughs) This may sound too stupid to be true, but think about it. If you were a pompous ancient Roman investigating a quote-unquote barbarian religious tradition, and you saw a depiction of a god with a staff in his hand, you might be inclined to think, well, would you look at that? It's, It's Mercury. Tacitus wasn't exactly a trained historian with a PhD in comparative religious studies, which is to say that he wasn't using modern academic methods to arrive at his conclusions. The historical works of Tacitus, like the historical works of antiquity overall, are clouded by the cultural biases of their author. Of course, there are some other overlaps between Woden and Mercury that shouldn't go unrecognized. Both served as guides to the dead, both were associated with poetry, and both had reputations as wandering gods. Alongside the staff thing, these are definitely major points, but they don't make Woden and Mercury the same god. In the overview of the Days of the Week episode, I briefly mentioned the term interpretatio germanica. To recap, Interpretatio Germanica is Latin for Germanic interpretation, and it refers to the identification of non-Germanic gods with gods in the Germanic pantheon. The Roman-inspired names for the days of the week in the Germanic languages is universally cited as the primary example of Interpretatio Germanica. 
However, the evidence is scarce regarding how these interpretations took place. The linguistic evidence tells us that they did take place, and we can estimate the time period during which they took place, but we'll never get a glimpse into how they took place. The human conversations that led to the lone translations of Roman gods into the Germanic languages have been lost forever to history. As a consequence, we'll never know exactly what the Germanic tribes were thinking when they made connections between their native gods and the gods of Rome. What if the Interpretatio Germanica that's so often associated with the names of the days of the week in the Germanic languages is just Interpretatio Romana in disguise? Let me explain. Interpretatio Romana is the Roman version of Interpretatio Germanica. In other words, it's when the Romans identified non-Roman deities as foreign versions of gods within their own pantheon. The example from Tacitus that describes Woden as Mercury is a prime example of this. In his writings, Tacitus doesn't make a comprehensive list of Roman equivalents of Germanic deities, but consider this thought experiment. What if he and his buddies strolled over to the leader of some Germanic tribe and said, Hey, you over there. I see you've got a handful of deities that you worship. Can I see a few pictures of them? Hmm. Okay. Nice. Very good. Right. Um, these three deities right here. What are their names? Mani, Chu, and Woden, huh? All right. Well... In Rome, we call them Luna, Mars, and Mercury. They're basically the same thing, so you can go right ahead and use them to translate our Latin names for the days of the week into your own crummy barbarian tongue. <laughs> now, no cultural exchange is actually this simple. But if anything even remotely close to this took place, then Interpretatio Germanica is just a bunch of Romans telling a bunch of Germanic barbarians what to do and how to think. And therefore, the process isn't very Germanic at all. Now, don't misquote me here. I'm not saying that this is what happened. I'm posing this as a hypothetical situation because we don't know what actually happened. All right, now let's move on to something that we can discuss with a little more certainty. Ah, just kidding. For the remainder of this episode, we're going to try to solve the mystery regarding the evolution of the old English word Wodnesdag into the modern English word Wednesday. The pronunciation of Wodnesdag differs from the pronunciation of Wednesday in two obvious ways. First, the initial vowel sound in Wodnesdag is an O sound, not an E sound. And second, the D in Wodnesdag, which has fallen silent in Wednesday, is still pronounced. The first of these changes had taken place by the 13th century, so right at the beginning of the Middle English period, and the second had taken place by the 15th century. If you're familiar with the history of English, then you know that the pronunciation of the language has drastically changed over time, particularly in the pronunciation of its vowels. In turn, many modern English words are spelled similarly to their Middle or Old English predecessors, but are pronounced quite differently. 
When we encounter words like this on the show, I tend not to dwell on these sound changes because they generally don't impact the story I'm trying to tell. However, the shift from the O in Wodenesdag to the E in Wednesday is a mighty, mighty exception to this rule. This vowel shift may indicate that the word Wednesday is not a direct continuation of the Old English Wodenesdag at all. Before we start exploring a bunch of heady scholarly hypotheses regarding the mystery of this vowel shift, let's look at a few common sense hypotheses, or at least seemingly common sense hypotheses. In spite of what I just said, let's suppose for a moment that Wednesday, the Middle English predecessor of Wednesday, did in fact evolve from Wodnesdag. How could this have happened? Well, after the Norman French conquered England in 1066, French pronunciation began influencing English, so it's possible that Wednesday emerged as a more French-friendly version of Wodnesdag. Possible, but not really likely. Given what we know about the impact of French pronunciation on English pronunciation during this period, it's not a sound shift that we would expect. Is it possible that the shift from the wode in wodnesdag to the wed in wednesday represents a random one-of-a-kind sound change? It's possible, but this is typically not how sound changes occur. They're usually formulaic and language-wide. However, if we go further back in time, we can find a formulaic sound shift that affected the pronunciation of wodanaz, which, in theory, could have produced the word Wednesday. Recall that wodanaz was the name of the original Proto-Germanic god from which the name Woden derives. However, there's a problem here. As you know, Wodanaz was not Woden's name in Old English. It was Woden. The chronology for this particular sound shift I'm talking about is all wrong, but we shouldn't ignore it entirely because it may provide an important piece in our puzzle that we just don't know how to fit into the bigger picture yet. I'm opening up an enormous can of worms here, and I hope you're along with me for the ride. Around 500 CE, a sound shift called the I mutation affected all of the Germanic languages except for Gothic. I talked about the I mutation way back in episode 9 in my discussion of why mice is the plural of mouse. To learn more about this topic in greater detail, you can refer back to that episode. But for now, all I will say is that an I mutation is a sound shift that occurs when a back vowel is fronted or a front vowel is raised when followed by an E, I, or I sound. If you're not a phonologist, you're probably scratching your head wondering what the heck that means. So let me very, very quickly explain. It's actually pretty simple. Vowels are produced in different parts of the mouth. If they are produced in the back of the mouth, they're called back vowels. If they're produced in the middle of the mouth, they're called mid vowels. And if they're produced in the front of the mouth, they're called front vowels. So far, so good. The E, I, and Y sounds 
all of which are typically associated with the letter I, are produced in the front of the mouth. When the I mutation began occurring in the Germanic languages, it made vowels occurring before these various I sounds move forward in the mouth, thus placing them in closer proximity to the production site of these various I vowel sounds. In I-mutated words, it's not the I sound that changes, but rather the I sound that induces the change on the vowel immediately preceding it. This occurs because, over time, languages tend to gravitate toward easier and easier pronunciations, and if all the vowels in a given word are closer together, we can produce that word with less work in our mouths. With that in mind, let's return to the pronunciation of the Proto-Germanic deity Wodanaz. Based on linguistic reconstruction, most Germanic linguists agree that there was a variation of this Proto-Germanic name, pronounced Wodinaz, that was prominent in the North Germanic languages. The most significant of these North Germanic languages was Old Norse. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that the Norse theonym Odin derives from this variation, and it's pretty clear to see how. If you drop the initial W sound and the Oz ending from Wodinaz, presto, you've got Odin. Anyway, what does the variant pronunciation of Wodinaz have to do with the emergence of the word Wednesday in Middle English? Well, Wednesday looks as if it ultimately could be derived from Wodinaz. In theory, the I sound in the middle of Wodinas would have changed the O sound in Wod, which is a back vowel, into an A sound, which is a front vowel, resulting in the word Wodinas. After the loss of the Oz ending over time, this would produce a word like Wadin or Waden. At this point, the emergence of Wednesday is an inevitability. But Yet again, we circle back around to the first problem we began with. The Old English written record attests Woden, not Wadin or Waden, as the name of this deity. Naturally, Woden is consistent with the pronunciation of Wodnesdag, and both of these words strongly suggest an etymological lineage descending from Wodanaz, not Wodinaz. So, if the Middle English Wednesday is in fact derived from Wodinaz, given the Old English words Woden and Wodnesdag, which, again, derive not from Wodinaz, but from Wodanaz, the logical conclusion is that the I-mutated word Wednesday had to be imported into English from another language. Since linguists seem to agree that the Wodinas variation was prominent in Scandinavia, what if Wednesday entered English via, say, Old Norse? In theory, this sounds plausible since Old Norse greatly influenced late Old English, but yet again, we have a problem. At the point in history when Wednesday emerged in Middle English, the Scandinavian theonym for the English Woden was being pronounced Odin. Odin, of course, lacks both a W and an E, 
both of which are key ingredients in the word Wednesday. Now, wait a second, you might be thinking. Shouldn't the I mutation have turned the O in Odin into an E if Odin actually derives from Wodinas? That's a very keen observation. But the I mutation in the North Germanic languages, the branch to which Old Norse belongs, is a little less consistent than it is in the other Germanic languages. This is way too complicated of a topic to get into here, so it suffices to say that Wednesday did not come into English from Scandinavia. The German scholar Ludwig Rubikiel suggests that the name Waden may have existed in Old English, but it is simply unattested. He actually links it to a Celtic etymology and attributes the unanimously attested Woden pronunciation to scribal errors. These claims refute not only the story I've told thus far, but the general scholarly consensus of the matter. So, make of Rubikil's theory what you will. Interestingly, the word Wednesday is attested in Old Frisian, which suggests a possible derivative from the Wodinas variation outside of the North Germanic languages. Old Frisian was a West Germanic language akin to Old English, and it was spoken in what is today Northern Germany and Belgium. Is it possible that Middle English acquired Wednesday from Old Frisian? Well, given the historical moment at which Wednesday emerges, England did not have a whole lot of contact with Frisia. The Frisians were part of the initial Anglo-Saxon migration from continental Europe to the British Isle, so if Wednesday did in fact come from Frisia, it should have appeared at the beginning of the Old English period, not at the end of it. So, after all of that, we haven't even come close to solving the mystery of the sound shift from Wednesday to Wednesday. But hopefully, you still enjoyed looking at these fascinating historical linguistic details. I want to leave this episode with one more note. In all of the modern Germanic languages, the words for Wednesday are rooted in the god Woden, or some variation thereof. Every Germanic language, except for German itself. The German word for Wednesday is Mittwoch, which literally means midweek. German originally had the word Wotenstag, which of course derives from the common Germanic etymology we've been discussing, but probably due to the influence of Christian Greek missionaries on the neighboring Gothic peoples, the German language adapted this ecclesiastical, non-planetary name for Wednesday. Are you guys still with me? Okay, awesome! Thanks for listening! I was originally going to look at both Wednesday and Thursday in this episode, but since our investigation of Wednesday was so long and tedious on its own, I cut Thursday out of the picture entirely. Unlike the etymology of Wednesday, there's not a whole lot going on with the etymology of Thursday, so I'll be posting it as a short contributors-only episode on Patreon. You guys know the drill by now? If you want to hear it, head over to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted, and for a buck or two a month, it's yours. If you love the show, but you can't show your support in dollars and cents, no problem. 
you can leave an awesome review on Apple Podcasts. It may take a minute or two of your time, but believe me, it helps so much. If you have any questions or concerns, email me at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. I'll see you next time. Hopefully it's real soon. <laughs>